0: No matter what great experience you may have, if you're not really buttoned up on compliance and risk, you will be shut down.
1: You're listening to Payments Innovation, a podcast dedicated to helping business leaders navigate today's global digital economy. Looking to learn about the latest innovations within fintech and payments? You've come to the right place. Let's get into the show. Hi, good afternoon. Welcome to another podcast for Currency Cloud. I'm Rich Arundel uh, from Currency Cloud, and I'm delighted to be joined today by um, both Idi Ardelayan and Brian Wally from Exactuals. Ili, Brian, hello. Hello. Well, good afternoon. So, wh- why don't you um, introduce yourself a little bit to the listeners?
0: Sure. So, my name is Ely Ardine and I'm the Chief Product Officer here at Exactuals. Uh, we are a payments and data company. And uh, my responsibility is to uh, build the product, the experience, and make sure uh, our customers are delighted.
2: Hello, my name is Brian Wally. I am the Chief Operating Officer at Exactuals. Uh, I support all of the well, operations of the business um, from customer success, as well as other items like finance, HR, legal risk compliance, uh, and other fun parts of a payments company.
1: <laughs> so yeah, so you the- are fun part, and we will <laughs> tell you all about them. Awesome. And 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 what about Exactuals? Tell the, the listeners what, what you guys are all about, what you guys do.
0: Oh, great. Well, Exactuals basically solves payments problems for our customers. And we do that through a SaaS product where we allow our customers to collaborate on payments and data. And uh, I can tell you more about that in a little bit. But basically, it's a great way to use payouts as a strategic advantage, both from a revenue generation and cost reduction. We focus on the entertainment industry through residual payments of film and TV and uh, royalty payments for the music industry. And we also service online marketplaces who need to pay contractors or contributors, basically non-employees.
1: Well, listen, great, great to have you guys here. And I think you know the topic for for today is all around kind of using payments and data as a as a strategic advantage. And I guess the question will we'll lead straight off is: so, how can you use payments as a strategic advantage? It's a great
0: question, and I think it's one that uh, probably hasn't been asked enough uh, in the past. But we'll see a lot more trends toward that in the future. But uh, primarily in payments, there are two findings that, that we've observed. A lot of folks have been talking about payments being the last mile. And I think that's that's true in that that helps you manage your customer experience, it helps you manage your relationship uh, uh, with with your customers and really helps, can help your company grow depending on how you manage your payout. But what we have not talked enough about is what happens to the other miles. We know about the last mile, what about the other miles? How do you even get to a point where you know you have to make a payment? Is it the right payment? Is it to the right uh, entity or individual? And that's where you really need to combine both the payments and data component to really understand your business better. And you could use uh, um, a lot of great new technologies like machine learning, deep learning, et cetera, just to be able to get to that point.
1: Okay. So, I mean, listen, the the payments world is quite complex, I guess. And and unless payments is core to your business – then you don't really understand the challenges involved in this. So from your experience, what are the kind of the challenges when it comes to this last mile, as you put it, so in the payment space?
2: Well, sure. From an operational perspective, if you look at, let's just say you're domestic U.S. and you want to pay someone in Australia, but that is not possible through the United States Fed. So that's not even an international ACH. You may need to do an international wire You know, that means you have to know the BSB codes of that bank in Australia in order to send money to a payee over there, which, you know, for a domestic payer is is kind of ridiculous, right? I mean, they're even under, you know, English common law, (laughs) and and you can't have the same rules apply for, let's say, the UK or the Eurozone over to Australia. So just getting a global payment anywhere in the world is, candidly, it's more complex and more, well, it's just more difficult than most domestic payers care to even think about. And so if you can hide that complexity from them uh, and just make it a simple experience, uh, and, and you'll get paid for, for hiding that complexity and the pain from the payer.
0: Right, and so I think the payers in this case either accept or are not aware of the fact that they don't have to deal with that pain. That's right. And they don't understand, actually we sat down with a client just the other day where we mapped out their cost and typically comes out to the same. It's either five to $20 per payment just to make one payment. And um, once customers really understand that, they realize that the volume of payments, the labor involved, the exception handling, the errors, the sheet man, et cetera, all that has an impact on on their business. So it's another method to use, once you understand it, to use payments as a, a strategic advantage.
1: So I, I guess from, a, from a, a company's point of view, they could probably just enter a dollar amount and, and either let their banks deal with it or let the, the person they're paying handle that, um, that pain. But surely there are more options out there. So what, what options do businesses actually have, and how do they get around to finding the right one for them?
2: Look, you can always send a paper check. You can send an ACH. You can send an international ACH, a wire. You could send an EFT. You could send uh, Western Union. You can send Pony Express, right? I mean, there's a thousand and one ways to pay somebody. And sometimes we find with our payers and our partners, there's almost too many choices, They get to the buffet of payment options, and they're overwhelmed with, you know, how do I even do this? How do I even start? And the data required in order to make a payment to someone. So I think if you can, again, skinny down those options and just say, cool, you want to go with A or B, right? A is we'll get there tomorrow, and it'll cost you X, and B, we'll get there in three days, and it'll cost you Y. Which one would you prefer? And they can make a business decision, choose one, uh, and then, again, We'll handle all that complexity, or if someone can handle that complexity for them, it's just a binary choice, A or B, as opposed to here's 14 different ways to make a payment. How do you want to solve this problem? Most payers have better things to do in their day than to think about these things. And they think about them rarely, so like they don't become experts in them. So they just just, just tell them the answer, just give them a binary choice and move on in their day.
0: Right, so uh, if I can add to that, that's why we, our product actually takes that decision if they want to have that taken away from them completely, in that uh, we leave it up to the PE to determine how they want to be paid, and we work our models with our payers, our customers, so that they just have to tell us the payment needs to be made, and we will determine with the payee how that should be made. So you've got wires, for example, they're the most used for payments, but they're very expensive, and actually there are a lot of issues with wires you get. Um, A lot of uh, correspondent fees and pickup fees that uh, really impact the customer experience. You've got paper checks that are just a non-starter for global payments, but some folks still want those. Prepaid cards, there's a lot of big buzz about them. I've got a background in that space. It's a great solution, except you have to worry about the delivery side. and They typically have a lot of fees as well. E-wallets are great, but there is a cost to withdraw funds. And money transmitters are really great for cash-driven societies so that um, folks can just go to their local money transmitter and pick up funds. But the best options really that we've seen are really those that are focused on electronic funds transfer that basically sends funds directly to a bank account. That Those are the highest adopted uh, methods.
1: Okay, and, and there's, there's, a, there's a lot of information in there, and I, I guess a lot of people who are new to this space are still trying to find the right method for them, the right people to speak to. So I guess if you're coming speaking from an point of view, What recommendations do you have for someone who's looking to make payments, looking to globalize their business with that cross-border payment method?
0: Okay. So um, I think really to start, folks really need to make a buy versus build decision. And you typically want to build when your return on investment is high enough. And in this case, your return on investment is high enough if you really do very mass volume and you could really bring down the cost of dealing with everything we've just talked about, whether it's uh, labor or exceptions, et cetera. And that's a time when you can consider that, not to say that that's necessarily the decision, but for most companies, their volume typically isn't going to be that high. So a buy decision uh, should be considered because otherwise they have to rebuild all that infrastructure and all the components operationally that basically their neighbor has to and everybody else has to, and the question typically is why. Overall in technology and just industry-wide, uh, in, in other industries, there's a much bigger trend towards buying versus building, and you'll see that coming up in more in the next uh, few years, uh, just in other areas, unrelated yeah. to payments.
2: Yeah, I so couldn't agree more. What we see with most of our partners, right, is that they want to focus on growing their business, not building out a payments infrastructure to support their business. It's why they outsource legal. It's why they outsource, you know, accounting, and then they outsource their payments, uh, or payment processing, at least. because building that core, it's not a core competency of most businesses. It's a fundamental fact that all businesses need, but it's not their core reason for existence. And coupled with the fact of the build versus buy decision that Ely was touching on, you then have a risk component as well. Do you want to be storing bank account information for your payees? Do you want that liability? Because it comes at a risk, right? Uh, you know, and it can come at a price. People are going to come after that data. And if you are not prepared to secure that data uh, appropriately, you can, Bad things can happen very quickly to your business.
1: Yeah, and I guess guess especially if if you're not the payments professional, then you're going into it a little bit blind. Um, That's right. Yeah, okay. And I
0: should add, folks are doing it who are not the payment professionals, but
2: they believe they are. Sure. Draft your own legal contracts, too. Don't hire a lawyer. See how that works. You'll be
1: fine. (laughs) (laughs) We've seen this a lot, and, and there's a lot of, I guess, companies out there who are offering a payment service, but these guys don't come from a payments background. These guys perhaps come from a UX background, and this is all around giving the end customer a really good user experience, yet their actual knowledge of payments isn't perhaps what it perhaps should be if they're offering a payment service. True. (laughs) Uh, So in product, we love user
0: experience. We love all those components, and those are great. In payments, we have to add the other component around accuracy and security and compliance, risk, everything else. So that actually always begs a negotiation and a trade-off with the other side of making it a seamless user experience, et cetera, because at the end of the day, you cannot go wrong on payments. You can go wrong on maybe some other areas, other things you might be shipping
2: or content or providing, but
0: not on payments.
2: Yeah, I mean, I run the ops team, right? And, And my team is probably bored of me saying, like, our goal is perfection. And anything below perfection, we're all having the worst day possible, right? It's other people's money, and you better treat it with the respect that it deserves, because our bar is perfection. And uh, when your Instagram photo doesn't load, you double tap again, and then it loads, and everything's fine. When your payment doesn't process or somebody else's payment doesn't process, everyone's having a very bad day very quickly. You've got to bake in that compliance and that quality and the risk and the security and protecting the PII data. You've got to do that from day one, not once you're an ongoing concern and trying to figure out your payment flow you know, two years in.
1: No, I think that's a really, really good point, actually. And Brian, this is why you're the COO as well in terms of a a perfectionist. But I think um, the point we're making there about how important the payments are, I think it's it's really important to understand the the reason that these payments are being made. From a, a B2B perspective, this is potentially for goods that need to be shipped. And if the payment doesn't get there, then the goods aren't shipped. And then from, I guess, a B2C perspective, this potentially, especially in something like the remittance world, this is people sending money back home and this is for for their livelihoods. So I think it's a really, really good point. Just changing tracks ever slightly. um, And I guess asking, um, this is probably a question for you, Ali, um, and looking at your experience. So as a chief product officer, how is it that you go about leading a team that builds payment systems? What's really important to you and what are some of your experience in that world? Everything.
0: But uh, I, I should say, really, accuracy is most important. We do really think a lot about the experience side of it because we want it to be seamless. We want to take out the pain points, and we do. And it's always a trade tradeoff uh, and a balance. But um, I will say, no matter what great experience you may have, if you're not really buttoned up on compliance and risk, you will be shut down. And that's the end of story. Etc. I've seen competitors, from my experience, actually be shut down because they were not really more of a blue chip, buttoned up compliance risk shop. They were just uh, providing some solutions, and they seemed great, quick and snazzy, but uh, they ended up getting shut down. So I've actually seen compliance as a revenue driver in my career, and that's kind of uh, how I think about it. I know Brian's my best friend on compliance on that one. <laughs> um, so how we actually build our payments product is through a lot of diligence. We do agile here, we uh, do build fast, we build in layers, we build iteratively, but we always make sure that as we launch something to market, it is secure, it is accurate, it is tight, and uh, we get many eyes on it before it actually uh, scales up to volume.
1: You mentioned the uh, the C word, and I don't think we can probably do a podcast without mentioning compliance. Um, and obviously, it's a, a fundamental part of this industry. And you know, my personal opinion is, kind of as a fintech provider, we have an obligation to the industry, an ob- obligation to the regulators, the banks, the consumers, to make sure that compliance is at the heart of everything that we do. And it's, it's sometimes a forgotten. I think. So, just picking up on that a little bit. What, what are the main compliance challenges that you guys see when it comes to kind of cross border global payments?
2: I'll speak to one part of it, and this is just Ely and I, we we made a decision uh, years ago, actually, to have a KYC, a Know Your Customer Identification Program, in our product from day one, even though it is not required by law. Given our business model, we technically don't need it. Ely and I just both looked at the company and our investors and our board and said, we're going to spend the time and do this because, A, it's the right thing to do, B, it's the right way to behave, and C, eventually compliance is gonna come knocking on our door and ask, where is it? And we can say, of course, we've been doing that for years. To me, it's almost like the debate from, I don't know, five, ten years ago, when, when do you put quality assurance into a software build? You can either bake it in in the beginning, or you can try to retrofit it at the end. And retrofitting at the end is, is just, that's a failed model. So from a compliance perspective, We've always tried to act, I'll say larger than we are. Um, I say it that way, not, not that we're small, but we've always tried to act. I come from a depository institution, like a financial institution that was regulated by the OCC. And I've always just tried to behave here at Xactuals like we're regulated by the OCC. What do they expect us to do? How do they expect us to behave? And we should act that size, even though we're not, you know, we may not have been then or may not be now. We should behave like a good steward uh, in the industry. Uh, it's true. And so I
0: guess one thing that folks don't typically think about in compliance is, what I really should say is, if you have a payments offering, you should assume that somehow it is at this time being used illicitly. So um, the reason for that is because people want to do that. Uh, there are bad people out there and they, they exist and they want to do that. However, Uh, What we can do from a compliance and risk perspective is slow that down. And when you look at why compliance exists, it's because of the same reason. It's to slow down money laundering, fraudulent activities, consumer and and sometimes business protection as well. Uh, To put that in place and to slow down bad events from happening. And if you don't do that as a business, if you don't recognize that that's actually occurring and take the action to slow it down or to stop it, then it's irresponsible in our perspective, so that's why we do it. You know, we can always, always break down what KYC is really for each company, but it's typically making sure that you you know who you're dealing with, you know their behavior, and you know the type of risk that you're either tolerating or not tolerating. And to us, that's critical lifeblood for a payments company.
1: No, I agree. So I just want to go back to kind of the, the topic of the podcast, and we, we've talked a lot about kind of using the payments as a – strategic advantage. But I think one of the really exciting things that you guys are doing is really focusing on the data points here. And obviously, that's really important in compliance. But I think it's certainly from a business. How are you guys viewing kind of data in that respect? How can companies use data off the back of payments to grow and scale their business?
2: I'll take that one. So there's so much data that why a payment is being made, right? Typically involves so much data about just the reason any payment gets executed and that typically gets lost when the payment goes on whatever rails it goes on. And so having the analytics and business intelligence around the data points of why a payment's getting made is I'm going to say as valuable as the actual cash being moved. So yes, you know, you got to move the cash, you got to move it properly, uh, you got to move it accurately. That's table stakes. What I think is different about how actual looks at it is having access to all the data as to why a payment got made and then surfacing it in a way that's easily consumable and understandable for a non-payments nerd to say, you know, is my business growing in Japan? Great. What line items are driving my business in Japan? And being able to offer up a massive amount of data in a really concise, you know, all the pretty charts and graphs and business intelligence uh, that you would expect allows, again, our partners who use us grow their business, right? We, We kind of refocus them back on their core competency and say, you know, why do you exist as a business? You know, we'll make your payments for you, and oh, by the way, here's all the data around your payments that will help you make better business decisions to grow your business, and then it becomes a virtuous cycle where we are growing with a growing business. Yeah, and so if I
0: can add to that, Rich, uh, we've got basically three areas that we look at from a data perspective. You've got uh, the access side that Brian mentioned as far as viewing the data. We can send through PDFs or any other types of documents that are related to that payment. Uh, and it's very valuable because when you make a payment, there's oftentimes a statement or an invoice related to it. And it's valuable to be able to view that. But there's also the component around is that data even clean, right? And that's very important. Before you make your payment, is that the right payment to make? And it's a garbage in, garbage out approach to it where you have to recognize that if you're not working currently with clean data, that uh, you will operationally have a challenge ahead of you. That companies simply just pay for that today. But there are options, and we obviously have some. But you don't need to deal with uh, some of the current solutions that companies have out there with just hiring massive amounts of staff and dealing with long delays and being able to get to the point where you can finally make a payment. So that's in the first phase. And then once you get actually good, clean data and you're able to uh, display it, then it's about really analyzing it, getting insights, getting deeper, understanding your business, allowing your customers, allowing our payor's customers to be able to understand their business uh, and how they can do better. Uh, and that definitely leads to great strategic and competitive opportunities for our customers. And the third piece is leverage. All that has happened, that's great, but what else can you do with data? A lot of, There's a lot of uh, trends around being able to use that data for underwriting or for predictive analytics just looking into the future. You don't have to always look into the past. So we think data is just as important as payments, as important as payments, is as important as data. So (laughs) to us, it's all in one and it's all part of the payments experience.
1: Yeah, I I think it's a a really good and fresh way of looking at things, actually. Obviously, exciting uh, what you guys have to offer over the, the coming months. And so on that, in terms of the payments landscape, and you know, exactuals, etc. What are the key trends for you guys that we're going to see in payments over 2018 and, and going into 2019?
2: I'll go with the obvious one. I think uh, everyone's been signaling the death knell of checks and, and you know non-electronic transactions for, I'm going to say, decades. I think in the United States, that's finally, at least domestically, we're finally waking up and catching up to the rest of the world that has been on this train for a long time. You know, the fact that I can use my phone to pay for something is amazing. I, I don't want to carry cash. I don't want anyone to send me a check. It's expensive for me, them, us, etc. So I think the continuing trend is the, for me at least, is the obvious one. Less friction, more online, more automated with all the data around it. Uh, the why the payment is getting made and understanding, you know, a deeper insight as to why from my perspective. But that's yeah. that's the obvious answer. Sorry. No,
0: that's great. Well, those are... Um It's great because, actually, those need to get covered. And um, i like to add to that in that uh, there will definitely be significant growth in global payments as well. uh, Global payouts are expected to triple over the next seven years. And a lot of that is due to just having a global economy, but also the gig economy where folks are not necessarily just employed by one individual. They're they're just contracting out for others. And you'll see a lot of that growth, especially in Asia and and South America. So we're excited because we do obviously have – uh, opportunities and offerings there. But what that is also going to do for companies that might not be so obvious up front is that if you're fragmenting the payees that you're paying out to and the competition is increasing, what's happening there, what will happen ongoing as well, is the transaction volume will rise and the, amount, the average amount to be paid out will decline, which means now I'm paying five to twenty dollars to make a smaller payment, and I have to make more payments. That just basically highlights that there is going to be even more of a need for a streamlined solution to to do payouts, which kind of takes us to another trend that I would see is that is really uh, the practical application of artificial intelligence. There's a lot of talk about that in, in um, deep learning and having data scientists, et cetera, but it is really key to understand your data and understand what that can tell you about your customers and your payments. Really, every company's goal is to make money. And the closer that you get to your business and your customer, uh, and the better understand that, the more you can make. Awesome.
1: Well, listen, guys, it's been great having you. Again, I've been joined by Iliad Laird and Brian Wally from Exactuals. And thank you very much for your time, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe now in iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Until next time.